Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hello there, and welcome back again to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. My name is Tobias Zimmergren, and I'm here with Yusip Roine. What's up? All good here. Happy to be here again. Uh, I am also on the very last days of my school journey. So I started that about two years ago, and I still have a couple of lecture days to, to manage through, and, and obviously everything is remote. More or less, it's been fun, but when I sort of reflected back on this, it's also been super taxing because each month you sort of have to dedicate 50 to 70 hours for school and still be able to do everything else on the side. So now I'm already thinking that once I'm done with school and I get this additional 50 to 70 hours per month to do whatever, I think I have two options. I can watch more Netflix, 50 to 70 hours a month, or I can do more exercise, more gym, more running, more cycling. And I think I will, I will try the more sports first. And then if that sucks, I'll just transition quickly to more Netflix. It's about time you get one of those bike trainers so you can join yes. for a virtual ride. Sounds like you will have time for that now. Yeah, I was just thinking that I need to get <laughs> that. And, and then since it's so super duper cold now, I don't want to go running outdoors. I think I need to get a treadmill as well. But the challenge in there is that, that there's like 2,000 different models. The cheapest one is like 200 euro. And the more expensive one is like 10,000 euro. And, and I'm a bit confused on what model to go for and if I have the space. But assuming I have the space and the budget, I will get both the trainer for the bike as well as the treadmill. Nice. So how about for you? What have you been up to lately? So for me, I have, uh, as if you've listened to previous episodes, you know, I've been moving uh, with the family to a new place. So I've been soundproofing my new home office because where we live now, we have neighbors and they have dogs and they have kids and they have, uh, you know, very powerful drills that they drill into the wall uh, pretty much at all times of the day. Mm. Um, so I've been soundproofing a little bit in the home office. So I tried Amazon because this has not existed in Sweden until last year. You know, the rest of the world has had Amazon for a long time and we've just been the sideline looking at that, you know, because we have other solutions. I'm not super impressed, but at the same time, it works, right? You you get something, you get it delivered in one or two days and that's okay. But we already had that with different providers in, in Sweden. But pretty cool to uh, find these uh, soundproofing panels, which I hope will help both for the recording of the podcast, but also all the endless calls that we're on on a daily basis with uh, customers and and internally uh, now working remotely with with everyone. Uh, so there's that, uh, and that's been a fun project to soundproof. But the other fun thing is ice. My part of Sweden rarely gets below Celsius uh, for you know longer periods of time, but now last week we had minus eleven, which is a lot for my part of the uh, country, and uh, for about ten days or so the sea froze outside the coastline. So we could actually walk 800 meters from the shore, just straight out 
on the ice. Uh, so we took the family for a trip and we went uh, hiking just, you know, over the sea, walking toward Denmark, but obviously not reaching Denmark because the ice only goes about 800 meters. And now before you think, well, isn't that dangerous? Another thing with the part of Sweden where I live is it's about 20 centimeters deep for about five kilometers or something. You know, it's it never gets deep. So you can, when we go swimming, we literally have water up to our knees. So you really have to uh, strain yourself to actually get wet when you're swimming. So when the ice now is frozen, it's frozen all the way to the bottom. So it's pretty cool. So it's safe and it's fun and a bit different, a different type of hiking. I was I was thinking that the Swedish solution here is that you keep walking on the ice as long as you start seeing people. People are dropping through the ice, and then you figure, okay, let's not go any further because those <laughs> yeah. people already already deep. So perhaps we turn back. Yeah. Alrighty. So today's episode: expectations on Microsoft Ignite 2021. So we are at a point in time again that that we are due for a huge event, which will be virtual. And the last Ignite we had in, was it in September 2020? So about five, six months ago. And usually we, we get Ignite once a year, but now we are already getting one this early in 2021. And perhaps we're uncertain if there's going to be a second Ignite uh, later on this year. I'm, I'm sort of hoping it, it would happen as well. Uh, so are you planning to attend? I am planning to attend. I did this last year and it surprised me how well executed that was. Um, not that I expected it to not be well executed, but it was kind of new to do a an event of this size at a global scale virtually, because I've always been in person to these events and it's been great fun, a lot of collaboration or and networking with, with your peers. Um, but I will definitely join. Um, you know, they're, they're bringing this instead of the usual 35,000 something attendees, there is, or I think last year there was 270,000 attendees. It's a lot of people who now can connect and take part of this, uh, which happened exclusively to the people who were, you know, on site for the on site event in the past. So I'm definitely joining because I can do this from the comfort of my own home. What about you? Yeah, definitely, definitely joining. And Last year, we had built in May, and that was a virtual one as well. And then we got Ignite, a virtual one. And I felt both of those large events were super professionally done. The registration worked, all the streaming, it simply just worked. And, and in, in that sense, I think the expectation has been set that this will be a smooth event with a lot of useful content, but also with fun keynotes, something not too enterprising, not too boring, but something that captivates us because everybody's sitting at home for a year now. So you need to have this sort of content that 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 makes you stop whatever else you're doing and actually focus on this. So the schedule for this will be March 2 to 4. So by the time you hear this, if I'm great with dates, which I'm not usually, uh, this will be a week from now. And the timing is 8 a.m. Pacific time. What time is that for you in Sweden then? So for me, this is uh, 5 p.m. So it's it's a bit late for something like that to start. But on the other hand, if I sleep in in the morning, you know, given the family allows, 
uh, I can attend most of the event at least. Sounds good. For me, it's going to be 6 p.m. And I did check the schedule, even though the schedule builder is not yet available, but you can sort of see the rough timelines. Uh, the session will go until 3.15 a.m. for three days in a row. So, so perhaps, and this is just an idea, once we start watching those sessions and we're past midnight, we could do a couple of, couple of uh, recordings on our podcast on the same time, because I think we will both be awake anyways. Yeah, yeah, we can definitely do that. It's going to be a great way to cover what's going on. And I do expect a lot of announcements coming out of Ignite this year, uh, as with every year, of course. So definitely that makes sense. And I'll just need to get enough coffee or tea to stay awake during you know these late hours. Exactly. And oftentimes you already have like a full day behind you and you're done with the, with the family duties perhaps by that time. And then you still have seven, eight hours to go with the content. I, I don't think I might be able to stay up until three. I'm not 20 anymore. I, I realized this last week. We got the kids uh, away for the night. So we booked a table at a, at a nearby restaurant. We went there with my wife. We had this amazing dinner. We we're back home. It's 8 p.m. And we're both like, can we go to bed now? Because nobody, nobody needs us anymore. So imagining attending a session until three in the morning not going to happen for me yeah no it's the same here and i but that that's what i like about this digital event that you know it's around the clock uh, you know it's depending on what time zone you're in of course it's gonna be landing differently but it's also on demand so if you do register for the event you will be able to take part of the session so you don't have to stay up until 3 a.m if that is when when the favorite session of yours is happening, you can just take part of that uh, ad hoc later and request it on demand. Uh, I do believe they recommend or actually say that you need to register for the event in order to then stream the on-demand uh, videos from the recorded sessions. I don't think you can download them later. Um, they At least that's what they say right now on the website. So if you are interested and you may not or you know that you may not be joining, you know, those late hours, just register for the event, you know, and then you can take part whenever uh, it suits you after the uh, event has been delivered. So, so speaking about that, you know, we just say now simply just sign up for the event, just go to the event. And in the past, when you went to one of these events, it was, you know, pretty pricey if you had to pay from your own pocket, but for the employer, it's usually, you know, a, a pretty fair price tag uh, for, for one of these events because you learn and get to network so much. But what about this online event? What, what is the price tag for this? Do you know? It's my favorite price. It's free. So, so I, I think there's both upsides and downsides here. For the individual attendee, obviously, it's great. It's free. You, you simply sign up. Perhaps you're not really fully internalizing the value that you're getting because you don't pay anything. You don't need really need to commit. So, so when the time comes that the session start, you might be busy doing other things and then you just go, ah, I don't, I don't care, I'll just watch the recordings. So that's perhaps one dilemma here. But the other dilemma that I'm now hearing from the community and companies around me is that if they aim to organize an event for their customers or for their audience, uh, the, the attendees sort of come back and say, hey, but the Ignite and Build, they're all free. 
So why are you guys charging $50 for this two-day event? Because Microsoft is doing this for free. So in, in, in that sense, I was sort of hoping that Ignite would have like a small fee, $25, $50, something more or less affordable for three days of content. And, and, and sort of Microsoft would perhaps shape the markets a bit that not everything has to be free. And in order to appreciate this perhaps a bit more and also enable the partners around Microsoft to perhaps charge a little bit on their content, then they would sort of show an example by, by leading with this. Um, yeah, and I think that makes sense. And that got me thinking a couple of dialogues I had with friends in the community and, and friends across the globe uh, who work for some bigger enterprise companies. Uh, they resonated, or at least the, the companies resonated that since it's a free event and it happens after hours, our business hours, you work your full day and then you attend this event during the evenings, but you don't really get time off during the day, which is also a bit strange comparing to when you go to this you know, on-site event, you take time off from your, your daily work, you're still working, but you're at the event, you have full business hours at the event, connecting with people, going to the sessions, whereas now the expectation from a lot of organizations seem to be daytime, you do your eight hours, whatever you have, uh, worth of work, and then you go directly to maybe six hours of Ignite content, you know, but somewhere in between people have families, they have other things they need to do, healthy activities, you know, you cannot sit 16 hours in front of the computer for three days, it just doesn't work. Maybe some people can do that. I used to do that when I was younger. I can't do that now. I've got two kids and, you know, there's this life, work-life balance. Uh, so that kind of ended up in a interesting discussion with those companies where they, although it was free, a free event to go to, they saw the, the value that they invest in their employer uh, employees to be, uh, you know, on leave during the day, paid leave, but attending the Ignite conference during the evenings, that's a fair trade-off because all the value they get to return back to the team is something they probably could not acquire some somewhere else, at, at least at, at this point in time. So there's interesting dialogues going on around that. And perhaps this would change slightly if it actually costs something, right? So if, if the event would be 200 euros or $300 or something like that, perhaps it would be easier to justify that. I don't know. Exactly. I, I, I fully agree on, on these thoughts. I'm, I'm reflecting a bit back to 2019. That was the last physical Ignite that we had. And you would travel to the US, uh, time difference for me is often what nine ten hours so you're heavily jet lagged then you meet with friends you do dinners you go back to the hotel you sleep then you do the whole whole day until what eight o'clock at the conference center then you do dinners again meet with friends have a couple of drinks and i still recall in 2019 i think it was tuesday or wednesday so we were halfway through ignite i i was glancing at my watch and and it's measuring my my uh what would you say the body battery concept in my watch meaning that how well did you sleep what's the stress what's your heartbeat let's do an uh an estimate on on your on your alertness and energy levels and it's between zero and 100 and usually when i wake up in the morning it's 90 to 95 
And on that Tuesday or Wednesday at Ignite, after two, two three days of the conference already, the body battery at six o'clock in the morning when I woke up was five, meaning that I had 16 hours to go with 5% of my energy left. So that's something I'm not missing, even though I miss seeing friends and the community, but I'm not missing the jet lag. I'm not missing the long travel. I'm not missing all of that. But as you said, it would be nice perhaps to keep those days empty and, and then in the evening do the work by attending Ignite. But I, I, I don't think that's a common approach that companies are really doing. No, it's not. But it's I would like to see a change there. So if you are tuning in and you have the power or you know possibility to, uh, to get that dialogue started with your organization, you know, I think it's fair game to, to bring that up. Uh, exactly. So I don't think uh, anyone should expect anyone to work 16 hours a day anyway. No, definitely not. So the structure, I did have a look on the website. It's familiar. So half of first day is keynotes and then the afternoon is regular sessions and the same for second day and the third day. So they've, they've distributed the keynotes for all of the three days, perhaps to ensure that people actually attend on each day. And then the afternoon is breakout session plus everything else you're going to get from Ignite. So no surprises there. Um, should we have a look at, at some of the, I wouldn't perhaps call this predictions, but perhaps some of the hopes and wishes and, and thinking we have on, on the different areas on possible announcements or news that we're getting. We can do that. And I think one of the things that was recently announced is Microsoft Viva for Microsoft 365. Yeah. I don't know that much about it yet. I haven't had time to keep up with all the announcements, but you know, enhanced collaboration experiences and you know, fully integrated into Microsoft Teams. I think Ignite will be a place where you will get a lot of updates around this because they went out with a big bang and they announced it and there was a lot of uh, buzz around this when they announced it, but also a lot of confusion. You know, people wondered, is this now replacing intranets in a box? You know, what what's going to happen with all the vendors uh, doing these type of solutions? And I hope that Ignite will clarify some of these things around Microsoft Viva and, and what it is and what it is not and, and how we can use it. Uh, you know, personally, I would love to embrace whatever capabilities we have out of the box so we can make use of that in our tenants. Um, but I, in order to do that, I need to understand what it is and you know where the power lies. So I, one prediction, if you want to call it that, is that we will see quite some updates around Microsoft Viva and you know this space. I, I I'm expecting this as well, and the the short PR bits that that we got on Microsoft Viva, I got the impression that it sort of ties together. Teams and Yammer and Shipper Online and, and all the collaboration capabilities in the cloud, plus the clients as well. But to me, it sounds like Microsoft is again replaying this sort of playbook they've had for a couple of years, especially on the on the Microsoft 365 space, is that they announced this vision that this is the vision that we have. And Perhaps people are still expecting it to be that, okay, there's going to be this release and it will have a division. When in reality, it seems to be more like, this is the vision, it might change on the way, but now we're starting our journey towards that vision, but things will change and we might first release this bit, then that bit, and perhaps this is delayed six more months and then something else comes up. 
So I like this sort of branding idea, but I'm I'm at the same time I'm slightly hesitant, but I'm also eager to see. So how is this going to play out in the real world? And what I mean by this is companies with with multiple language requirements for content, for example, companies with specific restrictions, companies with with poor connectivity. How is it going to be available? Is it going to be a rollout that enable Viva and, and it's something new? Or is it more of like, uh, here's a content pack for this, here's a set of settings for teams, something that you sort of build yourself, but it's more like a concept or a template that you apply that Microsoft has, has designed for you. And I'm not sure what it's going to be, but I hope that Ignite, and perhaps we have Ignite later this year as well, would sort of pave the road for the vision and then how they plan on executing towards getting to this vision. Yeah, that that's interesting point. And, and regarding the rollout, um, there is one thing you can try already now if you have teams, if you go to apps, you can search for Microsoft Viva and then you can see Viva insights. So you can get insights with, you know, who are you collaborating with and, you know, how much time do you spend with different things and kind of resembles my analytics if you use that in the past. And I tried this the other day and it, it came up uh, saying that, hey, you're very closely collaborating with these people who who's reporting to you or, or they're part of your team, uh, but you haven't scheduled a one-on-one with these people in the last two weeks. Perhaps it's time. Here's a couple of available slots that exist both in yours and in theirs calendar. Click here to set it up. And that's the kind of productivity tools I'm looking for, uh, especially when you're managing something and, and you need, you know, kind of a finger on the pulse where someone kind of, you know, reminds you of these personal touches you need to do as well. Obviously, we have sync meetings. We have meetings with these people, you know, all the time, every day, but perhaps not a personal one-on-one, um, you know, we have that perhaps monthly, but we get friendly reminders saying, perhaps you should do this bi-weekly. You know, it's, it might make sense. And it's all about the, the human touch and the, and the connection with your peers. So I really like that. Um, so that's definitely a, a top thing on my list to understand. So we know how we can use it in our organizations, but also so we know how we can recommend using it for the customers we're working with. Sounds good. And one other thing that I'm expecting on the Microsoft 365 space is security-related content. So insights, best practices, justification perhaps for why should a company go for E5 license or this add-on capability. And the, the idea came to me when I was looking at the 2020 financial earnings for Microsoft, and they underlined that their security-related business is a $10 billion business now. And, and that's probably one of the, um, I wouldn't say easier, but one of the more easier, easier ways to drive additional adoption in the cloud by adding these additional uh, security-related features and tools that companies can, can start leveraging more. So on 365, I think that's all I have in sort of expectations in there. Uh, do you have anything on top of mind before we move on to Power Platform? No, I mean, I'm just going to use the session builder when it shows up. Uh, but for me, this, I believe Viva is the biggest thing. And of course, security all across the board, all things security, given the recent data breaches in the last couple of years and the 
escalation of uh, you know all systems being penetrated and all these huge hacks uh, from 2020 uh, and even now in 2021 i think security is also going to be top of mind for a lot of the sessions and not just for 365 but for everything good so on power platform uh, i'm expecting more vision on the future uh, I, I feel many companies are still quite a bit of of confused with Dynamics 365, Microsoft 365, Office 365, Power Platform, Azure, LinkedIn, GitHub, in the sense that, that Microsoft tends to have this graphic with the multiple clouds that Microsoft offers. And often when you're working with something in Power Platform, it sort of starts spilling to Dynamics 365, even though if your intention is not to do anything with Dynamics and vice versa as well. So, so the Power Platform team has these release plans and the roadmap, which they publish in advance and they sort of commit to a, to a timetable. I think it's great. So my expectation perhaps on the PP side here is more vision and more examples on how different industries are leveraging Power Platform capabilities. That'd be cool. I see a lot of people use Power Platform, and I see a lot of individuals sharing in the community how they did this, you know, I don't know, small integration with Power Platform. I would love to see how you have this in enterprises as sustainable applications that you can maintain, you can upgrade, you, you can keep the pulse on and monitor, because uh, this is one of the key things I see a lot of pe people are missing out, you know, even though there are capabilities to do some of those things. A lot of people are creating their their apps, pushing it out, and that's it. But how do you know it's running correctly? How do you monitor it? How do you ensure that the data provided is accurate? You know, these kind of things is something I want to see, like the full kind of application lifecycle from development and prototyping to production. And then after you deploy to production, and this is where a lot of developers might kind of forget, uh, you don't just right-click deploy or push it out then you have to operate it and you have to ensure that you have uh, data consistency, that things are actually accurate, not just running, but running correctly. And this is not always the case if you don't uh, monitor them or an underlying API is changing the data it returns. How do you know that your app is now returning the right thing? Uh, these are the kind of things I hope to see in the roadmap to come for Power Platform. Indeed, one of the things we haven't seen much lately is mixed reality and, and dynamics and or power platform because that used to be a thing uh, for the past couple of years on a lot of keynotes they would have somebody with the hololens or a mixed reality glasses on showing this sort of imaginary use case and i would always go hmm interesting but is this a challenge anybody wants wants to have fixed or is this more, more of a solution looking for a challenge still? And, and when I did a quick lookup on this, I didn't really find that much updates on, on the mixed reality thing anymore um, in Unison in, in, in combination with Power Platform now, even though I know mixed reality still is, is a thing and there's a future for that. But perhaps for this productivity scenario, I don't think it's, it's, it's going to be something that you or I would eventually really start heavily leveraging at home, for example. No, probably not. 
So moving on, Azure and hybrid, and I'm sort of combining Windows Server and the on-premises in here as well. Uh, Azure Stack, I expect this to be highlighted again, and perhaps they'll throw in some Windows Admin Center. There's the new, new preview build thrown into that. And of course, Azure Arc for, for this hybrid governance and, and, and cloud governance as well. And one of the things that I did have a look on was in late 2020, Azure Stack Edge was, was announced in preview. So perhaps we'll get something more on this. And Azure Stack Edge is really when you want to build on the edge, meaning on the on-prem, but not within the internal network, and then offload some capabilities to the cloud or act as a secure cache or proxy in between the on-prem, your partners, and the cloud. So I'm I'm keen on seeing what the Azure Stack story is because it sort of seems seems to be refocused every couple of years. But at the same time, I feel that Azure Stack isn't really something that we would see a huge need for from our customers. I, I feel this is really for the super duper large customers that, that can leverage this, this more beneficially. Yeah, and I, I think on my side, what I expect around Azure is what I mentioned before, security. Uh, security updates, uh, improved security uh, features and capabilities, you know, across all the tools we already have and the services we already have, perhaps no super you know, major announcements around new things or, you know, no big service announcements. I don't think, or I don't expect, I hope, of course, there's going to be something cool that we can put our fingers into and actually play around with, but in the end, you know, given the threat landscape last year and the ever-growing threats and the work they've done that we also talked about in previous episodes with um, Security Center and the recommendations. And I think in the last episode, it was about 40 new recommendations in the last month, just they're pumping things into the Security Center, new capabilities, new features, new recommendations, new rules, and things to check for, new patterns, new threats. I think this is where a lot of the focus is happening and I think that is for good reason and I really really hope that we see you know some announcements around that how can we stay more secure more safe how do we get the collaboration experience across everything we do to stay secure how do we get our companies to stay secure how do we get our employees to understand how to stay secure and how do we operating the IT stuff and uh, you know get our hands on the tools to stay secure and um, so I really hope there's going to be announcements in this area that kind of simplifies, removes the fear um, that I see in, in a lot of people and in a lot of organizations, and perhaps instill a bit of more confidence that with the right tools, when you understand how to use them, you can actually lock down things in a pretty tight way. One of the things that uh, we got some news at Ignite last year was Azure AD decentralized identities. And there's a couple of websites for this now, and they're sort of not part of the usual Microsoft Docs and similar. It's like a separate setup. So I'm perhaps expecting to hear more what the future of this is. This something I need to focus on. How does it map or align with, with external identities, guest identities, my own corporate identities, and what the use cases for this would be? Because that the first news on this we got in early 2020. Then later in 2020, we, we got some new sort of updates that it's coming. 
And since then, I haven't heard anything, but I openly admit as well that I haven't really, really kept tabs on this. But this is perhaps one of the key things that I'm expecting some sort of vision and leadership from Microsoft. That this is how it's going to play out. This is what you need to do. And, and beyond this, the new data center announcements, we mentioned those on the Azure updates episodes. So perhaps they will highlight those again, or even perhaps we'd, we'd get more announcements on that. Um, and then perhaps a lot of preview, public reviews are going to be generally available because it's relatively easy to announce during Ignite that, okay, we have this public review and next week it will be generally available and nothing essentially might not change, but it's supported now and it's ready for production use as well. Alrighty, I think that's that's all of our expectations for Ignite and, and I'm already anxiously waiting for Ignite to, to come around the corner and, and we might visit this topic again, perhaps briefly after Ignite to sort of see how, how did we predict or what were our, our expectations and how did we end up with this? Yeah, I, I think it makes sense to do one of those Azure updates episode, but mm -hmm. perhaps a, a special edition where all the updates are from Ignite. And the, the reason for that is, of course, Azure updates are important to understand when they come out or the, the interesting ones. But also if you did not attend Ignite, but there are things you would like to learn more about, if we do one of those episodes and go through some of the most important and most interesting announcements, we can also provide the link to uh, the on-demand sessions to actually take a look. Indeed. So back in the day, and I think when we began with this podcast, we, we had this, this close-up section on, on learning Finnish and Swedish word of the day. And we sort of ran out of the words at some point. And, and then we decided, okay, let's, let's, let's stop doing this. But many people in the audience have reached out to us and said, hey, it would be nice to have something in here. So we're sort of trying out a couple of concepts here. Let's see how this goes. We're taking a slight risk. If this doesn't work at all, and we'll know in the next 40 seconds, then we'll come up with something else for the next episode. The idea is, for the unexpected question. So one of us will ask an unexpected question to the other, and then, then uh, on the next episode, we'll, we'll reverse roles. And we haven't seen this question yet. So perhaps, Toby, if I ask you an unexpected question and you, you don't know what I'm going to ask you, it's not in our notes. And then let's see what you come up with. And then we can spend a week figuring out if this was a good idea or not. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All yeah, right, I'm ready. So this is something that I sometimes ask my kids and the, and, the, and the answers are super interesting. So if you had to make a choice, would you rather fight against one horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? Which one would you choose? <laughs> I I would go with uh, with the one uh, horse-sized duck. Uh, it would be scary yeah. because obviously a duck of that size is. I mean, ducks are unpredictable. Yeah. So a horse-sized not so fun. But I also know the power of community. I also know the power uh, of having a hundred small ones. You know, they would probably overrun me. Whereas with one, perhaps I might get a you know chance in the fight or actually just run away because a duck 
I expect doesn't run that fast, yeah. uh, especially of that size. Uh, but yeah, I would go with one. That's a, that's a good choice. My kids, the first time I, I, I proposed this question to them, they said, obviously, the, the 100 uh, duck-sized horses. And I asked, why? Well, I would just go around and kick them. <laughs> and this was from a, from a 10-year-old. So I figured, okay, you're confident enough in life. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Success will follow. This was fun. Let's let's see what sort of a question we'll come up with next week. So next week, Toby will ask me a question. Um, thank you, as always, for tuning in. And until next time. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned. Thank you.